going, uh, I've been, if you don't know where we've been going the last couple weeks, I've been just pulling some verses out of Psalm 23, which is a very powerful psalm. And um, one of the things that that psalm is, is it's more, in, in this portion in particular, is it's not so much about our service unto the Lord, but it's God's service to us and who he promises to be and how he, he promises to take us through the valleys. He promises to restore us. He promises to do all these wonderful things. And in the last part of this verse, this is an un- the understatement of the year. It says, Psalm 23, 6 says, Surely goodness and mercy will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. As a Christian, you need to understand something. Goodness and mercy are chasing you. You understand that? But goodness and mercy can only get you if you let goodness and mercy get you. You know what I'm saying? So many people are running away from God's goodness and running away from God's mercy. We're running in the wrong direction. Goodness and mercy is trying to catch us, and we're running away. Get away from me. You know, we don't want the goodness of God. The Lord's playing out paths before us. He says, listen, follow this so that goodness can come to you. No, and we run away, so goodness and mercy keeps following you. Goodness means the weight of glory and destiny. That's what it means. The weight of goodness and, the weight, and, and what it essentially means is destiny who or design or who you're designed to be in destiny. It's a whole, it's the Hebrew word kavod. Destiny's chasing you. Did you know that? The destiny, come on. The destiny of the Lord is pursuing you. Pursuing you. You're pursuing your own destiny, but God's destiny is coming after you. God's destiny is looking for you. Not just his destiny, but his mercy. The word for mercy is the Greek word charis. It means it's where we get the word grace. It's also where we get the ministry of the gifts of the Spirit, if you will. So God, which means it's essentially God's enabling power or God's power. So God's destiny is chasing you, and the power of God is actually pursuing you. It's actually one amazing thing how we run from the power of God. We try to find our sources and our, our strength in so many different places. We try to find our enabling power in so many different places. And while those things may be good, they're never going to completely satisfy. They're never going to bring you home. Why would we lower ourselves when we have access to the power of the Holy Spirit for any and all circumstances, any and all situations? We have access to that world. And not only to have that world, but to be in that world, in this world, why would we lower ourselves to something that only unbelievers get? Anybody can have the stuff that the world offers. It's avail- that's available to everyone, but this is only available to the believer. The power of God's available to us. But what I want you to understand, first and foremost, is that these things are coming after you. And so all you pretty much got to do is just look for them or just stop or position yourself and it's going to hit you. If you start looking for God's mercy, it's going to come. You start looking for God's destiny, it's going to come. The problem is, is that our, we're, the, the, the divide is always within the heart. It's always within our own heart. It's what we want as opposed to what the Lord wants. And we don't know how to reconcile the desire. Nothing wrong with desire. So long as the desire is A, born of God, and B, aligned with God. And most of the desires that are in your heart are given to you by the Lord. If you understand this, we get the word desire. I teach it here so that we can understand what desire means. It's actually a Latin rooted word. And it's where we get the word sire from when, you know, horses sire a mare is, or they sire a colt. It's, it means, it literally means impregnate. So the desire is what God sires within you. Delight yourself in him, in his presence, in his world, and the things that he sires in your heart, he's going to give you. You understand? That's how it works. 
And a lot of times the desires that we have within our hearts are of the Lord. They're strong with us. They may be misaligned. They may be misconceived. In other words, you have a desire for something, but you're seeing it the wrong way. You have a desire for something, but you're pursuing it the wrong way. And you don't understand. So there's an alignment that has to happen with the desire. What does God want you to do within your heart? You have to mine that. You have to go deep into that and get to the root of the desire, the what and the why. Why do I want this? What does this mean? That's a whole other world. But anyway, but I want to talk to you this morning about dwelling in a house of the Lord forever. Do you know you're immortal, Christian? You need to wake up. It doesn't matter what the world is telling you. It doesn't matter what tornadoes outside your house. You are immortal. You are going to live forever. Immortality is yours. Eternal life. Life abundantly, life eternal, Zoe, a life that doesn't come biologically, a life that comes from God. Jesus said, John chapter 14, verse 2, he says, my father's house, there are many mansions. Mansions. Get out. One translation says rooms, but if you look at the root, it means mansions. Large, enlarged dwelling places is what it means. In my father's house, there are many enlarged dwelling places. If this wasn't so, I would have told you. How do we know heaven's real? Because Jesus said it is. How do we know that hell's real? Because Jesus said it is. It's not a myth. It's not a mystery. It's an absolute reality and it's an absolute fact. Heaven is real and so is hell. Jesus affirms this. He tells us this so that we can understand. He said, if this plus wasn't true, if this world that I'm speaking about, if this didn't exist and your future was not designed for that, then I would tell you. And I'm going there now to make room for you. And I will come again and I will receive you to myself because where I am, I want you to be there also. Aren't you glad? Good God. My wife doesn't even want to be with me sometimes. I don't want to be with myself sometimes. But Jesus wants to be with me all the time. I'm like, what? <laughs> sometimes a dog doesn't even want to be around you. You know, or the cat. Cats in particular. I have a cat, so... That where I am, there you may be, and where I go, you know, and you know the way. And Thomas says, how do we know? What are you talking about, Jesus? You're talking about going to this place, and there's this crazy place. How do we even get there? What's the way? Jesus said, I'm the way. You want access to that world? You want eternal life? You want heaven? There is no other way but by me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, everybody say it with me, no one comes to the Father but by me. I was just reading some political senator, I won't mention his name, <clears throat> Bernie Sanders, but anyway, uh, he was just raging on Christianity, raging. You Christians think you, what are you, superior? You think you're better than everybody? What about Jews, are they lost? What about Muslims, are they lost? Answer, yes. Yes, absolutely. Plain answer, cold truth, un inconvenient truth, all are lost without Christ, all. There is none righteous, no, not one. None. You say, well, they believe sincerely. Well, they're sincerely wrong. That's <laughs> just the facts. Christianity is different than any other religion. It's different than any other faith on the planet. It is the truth. Jesus said, I am the truth. I am not a truth. I am the way. I am not a way. I am the way and the truth. No one comes to the Father. That's a pretty exclusive answer. Well, that doesn't sound like a real inclusive, loving thing to say because it's not. It is loving, but it is not inclusive. It is exclusive. 
Broad is the way that leads to destruction. Narrow is the gate that leads to salvation. Which road do you want to go on? It's pretty simple. Heaven is real. It is the Greek word orianos, and it means realm. That's what it means. The realm of the eternal. So while we look at heaven and like, like our heaven is like a place, or there's another word for paradise. Actually, it's, your, it's literally your last name, Tom. Paradisio in Greek. Paradisio in Greek, it, it means a place. That's what, when, it talk, when Jesus said, I will be with you in paradise, I want to talk about that. But there's another, the, the, the realm that Christ is talking about here is a realm. It's not a place, it is a realm. It is, an abs- it is a reality, it is a place of fullness, it is a place of wonder, it is all of that and more. Next slide, please. Heaven is real. Next slide. Dave, you're distracting. We love you, Dave. You're awesome. Mansions, realms of places and access and influence. So you can, die, you can speak that word. And Jesus said, well, in my Father's house, there's many mansions. You can take it to understand that there are realms within heaven. There are rooms of access. All of that, would, you'd be true in saying that. But it also means an interpersonal place for you. Did you know that? There's an interpersonal place for you. There's room for you in heaven. You have a place in heaven. You have an eternal inheritance. You have an eternally reward in this life and in the one to come. What we need to know is it's the house of our Father. Jesus said, in my Father's house. His Father becomes our Father. Our Father is, is, is the Father. He's our Creator. Triune God. But it is our Father's house. Heaven is our Father's house. What does that mean? There's a door. There's a door. Hello. Not only is there a door, there's rules of entry. You just can't come in any old way you want. You just can't come in any old door you want. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. There's another place. He said, I am the door. You want to come into the Father's house? Jesus is the door. Mohammed is not the door. Tom Cruise and L. Ron Hubbard is not the door. Your intellect is not the door. Your good works are not the door. The Watchtower Society is not the door. Jesus is the door. It's it. He's the door. (laughs) And how do I get in? Go through the door of Jesus. What does it require? Surrender. What? Of your heart, of your selfish will, all that I am for all that you are. Everything of me for everything you are. Whether I even understand what I'm doing or not, I want to give it. I'm just doing it. That's what it means. You don't have to fully calculate or understand what you're doing. I'm just giving it all away. Do you understand what you're doing? Not really, but I just feel like that's what I want to do. I'm just going to do it. It is surrender and submission to what? The service of Jesus. What is the service of Jesus? That he became like us so that we could become like him. Took off his deity, put on humanity, lived and died. God in the flesh. God incarnate. God perfectly contained within human form, reliant wholly upon the Holy Spirit. His sacrifice, and what does that mean? Jesus died for you. Jesus died for me. We submit to that. We honor the Son because He humbled Himself beneath me. Therefore, it is, no, it is a disgrace for me to do anything less than to humble myself beneath Him. He humbled Himself beneath you. Who do you think you are to not humble yourself beneath Him? That's all it is. I'm going to humble myself beneath you so that when you humble yourself beneath me, I'm going to lift you up. That's what it means. And He sacrificed for us. So what is the alternative? So, okay, we're going to do a little theological study here. Right? So we've got to understand the theology of all this. This is just basic, this is basic truths that every Christian should know. In Genesis, man was created with oneness. 
God and Adam and Eve were one. They were at one with the Father. They were in direct relationship, intimacy with the Father. A separation caused by sin happened. Mankind became separated. And what does it mean? Well, the word sin in this context means to offend. We offended God. Did you know that? People are like, oh, God offends me. Really? Well, God isn't really offending you. you probably, you've offended God. What it means is to push away. Adam, Adam and Eve wanting to be God, believing a lie, a fallen angel lying to them, believing a lie, saying, we don't need God, we're going to push him away. Well, when they pushed God away, they didn't push God anywhere. They pushed themselves away. That's why man fell. Harmatia harmatano, the word offense. Then harmatia is, is, is the fall of a champion. That's what it means. When a champion has fallen, when a hero has fallen. So God makes men and women to be heroes. He makes us to be conquerors, makes us to be victors, makes us to be rulers and reigners, but that's not enough. we got to be like him. He establishes us up on this pedestal, and then we go, we're going to be like you. In fact, we're going to take your place. Uh, and we go to push him away, and then we fall, and we become separated from God eternally, creating a gap. No longer who we were. This is who we were. Now we're separated from him. We're separated from who he is. That's why people are confused. This is how lost we are. I talk about this all the time because it's important to understand how, de- how deeply lost man is. Lost. They, we don't know who God is. That's why you have so many opinions of who God is because we're lost. We're lost. No clue. Well, I think God is. I think that. Lost to ourselves. We don't know who we are. We're lost to our environment. We don't know our place in the world. We wonder, why, where, where do I belong? Where do I need to go? What am I supposed to do? Because you're lost. There's nothing wrong with you other than the fact that you're lost. That's why you have no sense of belonging. You're lost to relationships. Mankind can't make relationships work. I'm telling you, the only way miracles, the only way relationships stay together is by the miracle power of Jesus Christ. Married 26 years, I'm absolutely surprised why there aren't more, why husbands and wives don't kill each other more often, you know? It's like, come on. Come on, let's just keep it real, right? It's but by the grace of God that we're even able to do that, let alone ourselves. We have a broken relationship with ourselves, you know? Marriage is wonderful. I don't want to demean it, but there are times. There are seasons. There are days. And sometimes there are weeks when it just doesn't look too good. Just saying. (laughs) Preach it from the married people. Preach it, brother. Come on. (laughs) We're lost, man. We're lost. And so we need to understand this is what happened to us. Man fell and we became lost. But you see how merciful God is. God did not judge us in our stupidity. God did not judge us in our foolishness. When man fell, he immediately moved to love him and her. Immediately. Immediately, sin had condemned us. Sin had now encapsulated us and forever made us prisoners, doomed and destined to live and die outside of Christ and outside of God's economy. But God, in his mercy, immediately prophesied the coming of the Messiah. Immediately. Because you have done this, the seed of the woman's going to bruise your head, or you're going to bruise his heel and he's going to crush your head. Immediately, God said, there's going to be hope. What you've, do you know what's, that's what happens? So many times things in our lives happen to us. And you say, is there hope? There's always hope, Christian. There's always hope. Hope is in the room. Hope is in the name of Jesus. It's always there. There's always hope. The devil is hopeless. Jesus is always hopeful. Is there hope? You better believe it. It's there. It's there. 
Say, what well, I need to know what to do. Sometimes hope comes in an atmosphere. Sometimes hope just comes in presence. You just become hopeful. You don't know what to do, why to do it, or even how to go about anything. You don't even have an answer, but you just have hope. There's always hope. And from hope, God will give wisdom. From hope, God will give faith. Without hope, there is no faith. Hope is the bedrock, is the seedbed from which faith grows. Come on. So hope will produce faith. Faith will produce action. Action will produce results. God's promise is immediate salvation. Next slide. So we separate ourselves. This is the truth. This is what happens. Next slide. Those who put their faith, so what happened is, is so, so from Adam all the way up to the time of Christ, people died looking forward to a cross. There was a promise that was ingrained into man's future and into man's destiny of a promised Messiah. So those who aligned their hearts looking forward to the promised Messiah, put their faith in the coming of a Messiah, received a form of salvation, a portion, it, it was salvation, but it wasn't the fullness, but they got a portion of it. They received future salvation. So we put our faith in Christ in what he has done. Do you see the difference? So the cross is the defining point. Those before looked forward to him and believed that God was going to send a Messiah. They may not have known who. They may not have known what. They may not have known when. But they were, God was going to provide a Savior. And so they were looking in hope and faith to the coming Savior. We look back in hope and faith to the one who has come. And our faith is in what he has done. And we move forward from there. Their hope was looking forward and moving unto that. So when Jesus dies and he says, today you will be with me in paradise, he uses, he uses the word. When you guys know the story of the thief on the cross? Anybody know the story, right? So Jesus is dying. The one guy's mocking him. Oh, if you're God, you'd get us all out of here. You'd do something. The other guy says, hey, man, don't you have any respect? We're dying. We're guilty. And this man's done nothing. You know? And then he looks at Jesus and he says, remember me when you come to my kin to your kingdom. Remember me. <laughs> and Jesus said, I tell you, remember you. I'm going to do a little bit more than remember you. I'm going to, you're going to be with me in paradise. Paradise at that time was a place. There was a separation. Before the cross had come, before the blood had been shed, and before Christ had ascended, mankind could not access Oranos, Oran, the, the, place, the, the realm of the heavens. So they were taken to a place called paradise. Two distinct Greek words, two distinct places. Paradise has gone away. So what happened was, is all of the saints who died looking forward to the cross went to a place called paradise, which it literally means garden. That's what it means. So they went to a place that was a garden. And now when we die, we go to a realm. So we go from where they were held in a garden, awaiting the coming of the Messiah. And so when Jesus died, the Bible said he who ascended first descended first into the lower parts of the earth. So when Christ died for three days, he went into the heart of the earth. Where did he go? He went into, like, he went to paradise and preached to those. He says, hey, I'm the ones you've been waiting for. I'm the one. This is the theological understanding of this. You know, this is, this is as best as we can understand what happened and our limited means of getting it, you know. Maybe more happened, who knows. But he went, we know he went there and he proclaimed to them, I am the one you've been waiting for. He proclaimed to the lost, I am the ones you denied and you were the ones that you I am the one you rejected. He proclaimed it. I am real and you've renounced me. I am real and you have accepted me. And then as one, one evangelist puts it, he put, then he told the devil to lay down. He got all the saints around him. He put his foot on the devil's neck. He said, everybody ready? He said, yeah. And he kicked off. Come on. Come on. <laughs> he kicked off. 
So, when the, so what happens is, is this place, so this is again just the understanding of where the, what, we, what we have. We have the realm of God. They had the garden of God. We have the realm. We have access to the realm. So when the believer dies now, we do not go to a garden. We do not go to a holding place. We immediately go to the realm of the Father. The Bible says to be absent from the body now is to be present with the Lord. We immediately go to the realm of God. But it was not always so. So if you understand that, what does that mean? It means the cross is insanely significant. The resurrection of Jesus is insanely significant because it transferred man's ability to be held in a place of paradise from a place of waiting now into a place of fullness. Come on. Those who reject, go back one. Go back one. Go back one. Those who reject Jesus, they go to a place called Sheol and Gehenna. Those who die without Christ, this is important to know. They do not immediately go to Gehenna. Gehenna is called the place of burning. That's where they go. The Bible says at the end of the age, he, all, the, the books were open, multiple books. The books of life were presented. Whosoever's name was not found written in the Lamb's book of life is thrown into the lake of fire. Gehenna. But the dead who die now do not go to Gehenna. They go to Sheol, which is essentially a death row. They go to a place of holding. So somebody who dies today without Christ, they go to a place of holding called Sheol, and they await the final judgment. This is the theology of the Bible. I'm just giving it to you. This is what it looks like. We just, Jesus gives, the, he gives us this image in Luke 16, and then we have another image of it in, uh, in Revelation. The image of the fullness. So this is the place of holding to those who do not die, who die without Christ. He talks about the rich man, and he talks about a beggar. There was a certain rich man clothed in purple and five linen, living a sumptuous life. What he's confronting, it's important to understand what he's confronting here. He's confronting the thinking of his day. Because the people believed, if you were rich, then surely God's favor was on you. If you were rich, then surely you were going to heaven. The poor man, well, that must just be karma. That just must be bad. This guy just must be destitute, and God must be against him. So when Jesus is saying this, one of the things he's doing is he's confronting their thinking. He's confronting that. He did the same thing. It's easier for a rich man to go through an eye needle than it is for him to enter into heaven. And Peter goes, well, who can be saved? Well, why did he say that? Because in their economy and in their mindset, the rich immediately, well, God surely loves them more than he loves me. I mean, look at the house they got. Look at the car they drive. Surely God's with them. And Jesus is flipping it all on his head. He said, "Uh -uh. uh-uh, uh-uh. Do rich people go to heaven? Yeah, they can. But this is why he's saying this. This isn't a renouncing of of wealth or anything like that. What it is 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 he's confronting a manner of thinking in which the people were, their thinking was wrong. And because their thinking was wrong, their perceptions of God were wrong. And because their perceptions of God were wrong, the way that they lived and the way they treated one another was wrong. It makes sense? So there's a poor man sitting at a gate full of sores, and everybody would be like, oh, who sinned, his father or the father before him? What, what's, you know, that would be kind of a common response. This man's cursed. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. They must have been like, what? Abraham's bosom was, the, was another word for paradise, this place of this garden. And it says, and a rich man died, and he was brought to where? Sheol, the place of holding. And lifting up his eyes, he saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus. So there was a gulf. There's a place. And apparently the people that were in Sheol had the ability to see the people that were in paradise. But it doesn't tell us that the people in paradise could see the people in Sheol. So part of the torment of the unbeliever is they're going to see <laughs> what they lost. You say, that's not fair. Receive Jesus. It gets real fair. Then everything gets, it gets real easy. And he says, he cries out and he says, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus. You see the attitude? 
Send Lazarus. Send that poor man because his pride is still up. His pride is still high. I'm a wealthy. I shouldn't even be in this place. Why am I in that place? Send that guy who sat at my doorstep. Send that guy over here to put water on my tongue. And he said, son, remember in your lifetime you received good things and likewise where Lazarus had evil things, but now you were comforted and he is tormented. And besides this, between us there was a great gulf so that no one can cast from those who are and those who cannot. Nor can those, no one can go either way. We can't pass back and forth. There's a separation. There's an eternal separation that's happened here. And what happened was that this man's heart was indifferent towards the things of God. This man's heart was indifferent towards the, things, towards the other things of God. He actually goes on to say, send, send somebody to go and tell my brothers. Send somebody to go and tell my family so that they don't come to this place. And he said, the Lord answers, and Abraham answers and says, they have the law and the prophets. They have the church and the believer. If, they're not, if the believer doesn't tell anybody, well, nobody's going to get saved, A. But in other words, if they won't listen to the gospel and they won't listen to the people, they're not going to believe if somebody raises from the dead. Next slide. So what is this telling us? It's telling us that heaven is real. And is hell real? Hell, yeah, hell's real. Okay? It's so true. In a generation and in an era where we have cast off all restraint, thinking there are no consequences to actions, thinking that everything is ecumenical and everybody who believes gets to get whatever they want and we're all going to heaven, this couldn't be a clearer truth that needs to be proclaimed. A, heaven is a physical place. B, it's eternal. Aren't you glad? Heaven is real. It's not a figment of your imagination. Some might say, well, when I die and I go into the ground, it's all over. Well, you, wishful thinking. Wishful thinking. When you die and you go into the ground, it's not all over. Your body dies, your soul dies, but your spirit lives eternally. Why? Because your spirit came from the eternal God. When he breathed into man the breath of life, man became an eternal being. He's eternal. So while your body goes into the ground and all of your memories or your emotions or the emotional components of what you were go into the ground and that ceases to exist, your spirit of who you are will live forever. You can't control it. You can't vote on it. It's just a reality. But the good news is, is Jesus has designed you to live in his world forever. That's amazing. What happens? So heaven is real. Heaven is eternal. But guess what? Say it with me. Heaven requires an advanced reservation. You got a RSVP, yo. That's just the way it is. He's invited the whole world. You're all invited to what? The marriage supper of the Lamb. It's a dinner party like the world has never seen. Oons, 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 oons. Jesus is going to break out a bottle of wine that you've never tasted. He said, I will not drink this cup with you until I drink it with you anew. There's a cup and there's a vintage and there's a bottle that Jesus is waiting to uncork. And he's waiting for the consummation of the marriage supper. And then Jesus is going to lift the cup. And we're all going to lift the cup. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> You've got to reserve your place at the table. You're like, hey, man, I hear the party's here. The book of life's going to open up and they're going to go, nope, I don't see your name on here. You've got to RSVP. You've got to personally respond. And as the French would say, and that word says, s'il vous plaît, immediately. They're crowns. It's a place of, it's a realm. It's a rewarded place and it's a place of reigning. We get, to re, we, get, we get to enter into his realm, into his presence, into the fullness of all that he is. We get to be, are you ready for this? 
This again blows my mind. You get to be rewarded. He's going to reward you just for what? I don't know. He's just going to reward you. He's going to bless you. Why? Because we were created to be blessed, and he's a blessing God. And that is what he does 24-7, is he's looking for opportunities to bless. We have to position ourselves and let him bless us. We have to get in line with the things that he's blessing and do the things that he says to do in order that the blessing would come. But in the kingdom to come, it's going to be a realm we have access to his world, even now in the spirit, but then it's going to be full, and we get to be rewarded. There's five crowns. Everybody say five crowns. In the New Testament, the Bible speaks of five crowns. When it talks about casting our crowns at his feet, well, what's it talking about? Everybody's going to get the last one. Everybody's going to get the crown of life. But not everybody's going to get all of these. The imperishable crown, those who lived for Jesus. Paul says, I run the race that is set before me, and I pursue to compete in a, in a race, not to obtain a crown that perishes, but to contain up an imperishable crown. In other words, I'm living my life in such a way that when I get crowned and rewarded, it will be for a life that was lived towards Jesus. You say, is it possible to be a Christian and live a night life that is not towards Jesus? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. They're called carnal Christians. They're believers, but they live nothing but according to the passions and the desires of their own heart. And Jesus is just a backstory in their, in their story. But those who live a life that are saying, listen, I'm going to live flat out for Jesus, you get, a, you get an imperishable crown. You get the crown of rejoicing. It's, one, it's a crown for people who bring people to Christ. Paul said, what is my crown? What is my rejoicing? It is those who come to Christ. There's a crown the Bible specifically calls for people who have led people to Jesus. You want the crown of rejoicing? I don't know what that means. When you put it on your head, you just start rejoicing. Is that what happened? Woo! You know, you just start partying because you got this crown on your head. But that crown is given to those who lead people to Christ. There's the crown of righteousness. The crown of righteousness is for those who, the Bible says, loves his appearing. In other words, they like what is right from his world. They don't like what is wrong from this one. They want the righteousness of God. And the coming of Jesus, it couldn't get more right than that. Maranatha, the old church used to say. The ancient church would say Maranatha when they would break. And it means, come Lord Jesus. Come Lord. So they'd say, okay, see you next Sunday. And they'd be, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. They loved his appearing. They wanted his world more than they wanted this one. There's a crown of glory and it's basically towards those who lead in the house of God. And it relates also to suffering. Oh, there's two connection points. <laughs> you want to lead in the house of God? You want to serve God's people? There is a crown for you called glory, weight, significance. But it also is given to those who suffer greatly for the things of Christ. And then lastly is the crown of life. So is it possible to get five crowns? Yeah. Yeah. There'll be people that'll be blinging all five. It's true. And you say, well, there'll be jealousy in heaven? No, because we're all going to give them back to Jesus, and then he's going to give them back to us. So what does it happen? The Bible says we cast our crowns at his feet. And one Psalm 115 says, not to us, O Lord, but to your name. Not, the honor is not ours. The honor is yours. This is how this, God is like looking to honor you, and he's like, you're, like, you're going to give me a crown just because I lived for you? Oh, come on, man. You know what I'm saying? I mean, really? I mean, he's, but he's going to reward you. This is what heaven is. Heaven is, there's two thrones in the Bible, there's two different thrones. There's what's called the white throne of judgment. You don't want to go before the white throne of judgment. That's not the one you want to sit in front of. That's the one where his eyes burn like fire, his feet are like bonds, and when he speaks, the planets move, get out of the way. So that's not the one you want, that's not the face of Jesus you want to see, okay? 
Then there's the other one. This is called, this is for the believer. It's called the seat of reward. It's the Greek word bima. It's where those who competed, it comes from the, the Olympics, when those who competed came up to get their prizes or their laurels. And so we go before the bema seat. We go before the seat of reward. We do not stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And if it refers to judgment, it is judgment based upon the way we live. God is not judging us in sin. He's judging us for the way we spent our lives. It's a rulership over the way we spent our lives. Hey, I see that. Oh, I saw that. Nobody saw that. Those things that were done in secret that nobody knew about. Jesus said what's done in secret will be proclaimed from the housetops. The things that nobody knew, the sacrifices that nobody understood, the things that people didn't value, but God did. There are people in this church, there's two women in this church who spent insane sacrifices serving their mothers that had, their lives had completely fallen apart, where their, both of their moms were like, uh, dare I use the word invalid, because they had to be taken care of 24 hours a day. And there are two women that spent like years here Ileana and Janice, if you know them, taking care of mother. And I asked myself, would I have that level of mercy? Would I have that level of compassion? I don't want to be put in that position. I thank God my mother's healthy. But they, they unfortunately, that type of sacrifice that people don't value, heaven values that. That type of sacrifice will never be rewarded in this life, very rarely. People will go, oh, those poor you, poor you. But Jesus sees it. He remembers you honored your mother. You made a great sacrifice and made a great commitment to people when nobody else saw. He'll honor that. He'll honor that. It's, it's what he does. You don't ever have to worry whether anybody recognizes you or not. Jesus recognizes you. The only thing you're required to do is be faithful with what you've been given. Be faithful with what you've been given. Next slide. We reign with him. Our reign in the next world is directly related to our service and sacrifice in this one. I don't know about you, but I want to reign in heaven. Okay? I don't need to be the master of 10 cities in this world, but I want to be the master of 10 cities in that one. Okay? You don't believe me? That's exactly what Jesus told in the parable of the talents, didn't he? He said a master called his servants. Who's that? That's you. That's me. And what did he do to his servants? He gave them all measured talents, measured abilities. And what did he tell them? Conduct business on my behalf until I return. That's the wording. Do business until I come back. Not your business, not your neighbor's business, the business that I set before you. Advance the kingdom in the method and the manner that requires. Say, what does that require me? Well, if God, Jesus gives you something, then you're supposed to go, what do you want me to do with this? What do you want me to do with it? And one guy didn't know what to do with it. He stuck it in the ground. And so when Jesus came to reward, he said, hey, you got five kingdoms, or you got five talents, you got five talents back, you, you produced something, you at least made the effort, so therefore you're going to be ruler of what? What did he make him ruler over? Anybody know the story? Cities. He made them ruler over cities. Cities. What is he referencing? He's referencing a world that is to come. That's gonna, it's going to be a physical world. It's going to be a realm. Jesus said, we're not going to be just floating around on harps, you know, strumming harps. You know, you know, it's not going to be one eternal, glorious worship service. That's how we portray heaven. It's going to be a world. That's what it's going to be. It's going to be a kingdom there's going to be comings and goings. And I don't have time to break it all down for you, but maybe one day I will. When I have more time, because I want to get into this, but I feel like I don't have enough time to do it justice. <laughs> but there's going to be comings and goings in that world. There, it, it, there is. There's going to be kingdoms in that world. There's going to be realms in that world. We're going to go up to Jerusalem to worship him. The Bible tells us that. We're going to go up to Jerusalem. 
contrary to what people don't understand as well, but I, oh, I can't get into that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to wreck some of you, and you're going to, I'm not, I just can't get into it. I don't have time. Maybe next service I will. So the parable of the talents. So this is what we're going to have. We're going to be able to reign with him. Do you want to, anybody want to reign with him? Come on, man. Would you not want to reign with Jesus? Are you crazy? That's what Thomas said. They said Thomas was an unbeliever. Really? Thomas says, let us go with him that we may die with him so that we may reign with him. That doesn't sound like an unbeliever to me. He said, man, I want to die with him so that I can reign with him. And then when it didn't work out, then Thomas kind of was like, he had the wrong perception. Jesus still wanted him to reign, but not the way Thomas envisioned it. It's going to be a time of reunion. This is a beautiful thing. Can you imagine how the joy that's going to happen in that time? It's going to be a reunion. All of your ancestors, all of the people in your life that have given their life to Christ, that have gone on before you, that have died before you, you are going to be reunited with them. Not just at the coming of the Lord, but when you go into heaven itself, you're going to be reunited. I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who've fallen asleep. This is what's happening. The church is all freaking out. All oh, you know, these people fell asleep. They're not, you know, where are they? Is it over? He says, no, lest sorrow grip your heart and you have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep. Those who have died in Christ are with him. They're in his world. They're with him right now. And so when we go and we be with Jesus, we get to encounter all of the people that have gone on before us. All of the people that have died in faith that have gone on before us. One of the things the Bible tells us is in that world there's no sorrow, there's no pain, there's no, there's no hurting. Nobody's going to hurt each other anymore. The Bible says he's going to dry every tear from the eye. It's going to be an amazing place. But my last word would be this. To begin into the Father's house, the scripture tells us there's two different words that it uses. It means you need to be adopted and you need to be born again. Born again talks about a present state. Adoption talks about an elevated position. And adoption means equal rights. So when you become born again, what does it mean? You enter your father's house, you become part of his family. And as a part of his family, you become heirs to his world. I, I, I think the church just dumbs this down because just the concept or the thought of what that means is so overwhelming. And so we go, well, it can't possibly mean that. It means exactly that. We are heirs of his world in this life and in the one to come. We are partakers of his spirit and of his kingdom in this life and in the world to come. That's the truth. And we get so overwhelmed with that. We think, oh, and Jesus said, fear not, little ones. It is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. The Holy Spirit is given to the church and to the Christian to manifest that world now. We will not need the power of the Holy Spirit when we are with him in full but we will have access to that world fully, but we have access to his world right now. We manifest the kingdom of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. That is exactly what Jesus did. A big misconception is, is Jesus did what he did because he's God. Well, there's, a pro there's a big theological problem with that because he did it under the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the correct theology in order to create a model for us to follow. He became like us that we would become like him. So if he walked on the water as God, then who did he die on the cross as? He couldn't die as God. If he died on the cross as God, then you and I aren't saved. And so what, what's called in hermeneutical, what's called in Bible understanding and Bible study is called hermeneutics. You, you, cannot, you cannot parse this out. It doesn't mean when Jesus was God here, and then he was man here, and then he was Jesus God here, and then he was man here. He was God, but he set it aside and entered into the power of the Holy Spirit and walked it out by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why he needed to pray. 
If he's God, he didn't need to pray. He needed to get the mind of his Father. He needed to enter into the Spirit. So why? So that when we read these things, we can see the pattern of his life, and we can see the pattern of his behavior. It's why he says to us, greater things than these, who will do it? Who? Who? You will do. Greater things than what I have done, you will do because I go to my Father. And because I go to my Father, and then he tells us again, because I go to my Father, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. That's what he tells us. So these things are ours, and so what's the pattern? The pattern to follow is Jesus' pattern of manifesting the kingdom through the power of the Spirit. And I'll just give you one for free, because I just want to ram the truck through these, this type of thinking all the time, because it, it, what it does is it neuters the power from the church. The devil uses this nonsense to rob the church of its power. I just heard a guy say this, and he said, yeah, but God, I'm not seeing any of it, and so I don't want to teach this because I don't see it. And the Lord said, don't you dare, he's, he's praying, and he said, the Lord told him, don't you dare lower my word to the level of your experience. And that is exactly what we do. We lower the word of God beneath the level of our experience. Rather than pushing into the word of God until we have the heightened encounter, until we have the heightened experience, until that truth becomes reality, what we do is we take the word of God and we lower it beneath our experience. Just the thought... They asked the Reformed theologian, which I won't mention his name, and I won't cough that one out, but <laughs> they asked him, they said, what did Jesus mean? If the power of the Spirit isn't, because Reformed theologians don't believe the power of the Spirit is operating today. Ha, 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 let's just laugh at that. And they said, so what did Jesus mean when he said greater works than these? If the power of the Spirit isn't working today, and he says this, I can't, I just, I about fell out of my chair. He said, what I think Jesus was meaning is that we're going to build orphanages, and we're going to build hospitals, and we're going to care for the sick, and we're going to care for the poor. That's what I think he was meaning. I'm like, are you flipping kidding me? Do you think that's what he meant? When Jesus said greater works than these, it is the Greek word ergon. It is the word we get the word exousia. It is rooted in the spirit. So when Jesus said greater works, the words that he was using were spiritual. Greater spiritual works, greater spiritual manifestations, greater spiritual power will you administer because I go to the Father. And if the guy would actually study his Greek, which I know the guy knows his Greek. I know the guy knows it, but they don't want to look at that. They don't want to look at that because that would require them to be now responsible with what they've learned. The Word of God is designed to wreck you. I don't know if you're aware of that. It's designed to wreck everything you thought you knew. Everything you think you know is designed to turn it all on its head. The people of his day couldn't receive from him because Jesus was intentionally wrecking their thinking. He was intentionally wrecking them. And they were getting upset and they were walking away. And Jesus said, it's your traditions that are causing you the problem. By the traditions of your father, you make the word of God of no effect. By what you believe and what you think you know and what so-and-so tells you and what this person tells you when the word of God doesn't say that. At some point, we have to submit ourselves unto the word of God and regardless of what theology teaches us or what other people's opinions tell us. If the word of God says that, then that's what it says. He's talking about spiritual power. I hate to break the news to my friend, who is not my friend, but I know him. <laughs> Is he talking about orphanages? Are orphanages good? Yes. Bless the Lord. Build some orphanages. Should we build hospitals? Yes. Should we feed the, sick, feed the poor and help the sick? Absolutely. All of that. But if you don't realize that, governments can do that. Anybody can do that. And it's not to say that the church shouldn't do that. The church should do that. We should lead, say it with me, we should lead out on those things. But we should also do the things that only the church can do. We should do the things that the church, we should be casting out devils, delivering people, setting people free, bond, you know, uh, healing the sick, raising, the, those are the things that only the church is equipped and empowered to do. And that's what we need to do. 
That's what we need to create a mandate, a mission, a strategy, and push into that no matter what it costs. Another guy said the price of revival, which is spiritual awakening, is dignity. It's dignity. You say, well, people won't like me. Well, they probably won't. You say, I won't bat a thousand. You probably won't. Probably won't. Thrill of victory, agony of defeat. That's the story of, uh, of spiritual ministry, supernatural ministry. You're going to get the thrill of victory, and then you're going to get other things over here, and you go, I don't know why that didn't happen. But that doesn't excuse us from not doing it. I don't know why I'm sharing that. There's somebody in the room that needs that. So, Have you been adopted, and are you born again? That's the question to enter into our Father's house. So we're going to close with a prayer. And if you want to be adopted by Jesus, and you want to be born again, you say, I don't even know what that is. Just jump in, man. Just do it. Just take the red pill, Neil. Just come down the rabbit hole and just receive Jesus. So we're going to close with a prayer, and I'm going to close with a proclamation. And I've already gone long, but that's okay. God loves you. Just pray with me, church. And if you're here this morning and you never asked Jesus in your heart, or you're not sure today's your day, just say, Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior, and I need a Savior. So I open my heart to you, Jesus. And I ask you to come inside and ask you to heal me. I ask you to save me. I ask you to restore me. And I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you. And all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you in Jesus' name. And so let me just speak life over you because he loves you so much. Just receive it. Just bask in it. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you and give you peace. And may you forever live within his favor. In Jesus' name, amen. God loves you. We love you. That's enough.